It's Friday afternoon. The weather's nice. The city of Starkville is filling up, and this is our Tracks Plus Deep Dig. I'm Charlie Winfield. Bart Gregory is here with me, and Bart, it feels like fall for the first time. I finally got to pull out the old pullover. Yeah, you do, but it's a short sleeve pullover. Well, I'm, really... I'm, I'm kind of taking the stairs into the pool here. I'm not diving into the deep end of fall, but I'm I'm getting ready. You talk about Starkville bustling right now. Let me tell you, I couldn't find a parking spot downtown near our studios. And, of course, we are in the Farm Bureau studios here in downtown. And, yeah, it feels like Friday before a big game already. Charlie, hey, man, I've talked to so many people who have said, guys, I really like your Friday deep dig. I love numbers, and I really enjoy coming in here and doing this. It's a little bit of a dorky show. It is. Can we say that? I'm we, okay with that. Yeah, we get a little stats dork, but that's kind of the fun of it to me is trying to pick out tendencies with these teams, trying to find something a little bit different. You know, I go back to sometimes you see teams that have been doing things, and it's almost like they figure out they've been doing it and do something different, and then now and then you run into guys like NC State, and you figure out what they are, and – that's who they are. <laughs> They're a team that that's left-handed. Think back to last week. I thought we were kind of on the spot. We said we needed two interceptions. We were credited with one. We had one that was tipped, that was right there, couldn't hold on to it, had one negated. So I think we, you know, we've been around the dartboard. We may not have hit the bullseye every time, but we're around the middle. Yeah, that's what that's what you can expect out of us. You know, high average. Approximate knowledge. What's that Bob Carscad you say? Approximate knowledge of many things. Absolutely. Not not great, but good and okay. And that'll take me to some of my thoughts about LSU in a minute. We're not elite. We've just been pretty good. Much like their football program. Is that fair? That's very fair. I'd rather be pretty good than pretty bad. <laughs> there you go. Well, as we do every week on our Tracks Plus Deep Dig, we like to look inside the numbers, talk about these teams, and the precedent has been set. We kind of opened this thing with an opening statement. And, Bart, we've kind of set the precedent, haven't we? Okay, I've argued the last two weeks, so I'm just going to go with it. All right, I think let's we, go. I think we found a good rhythm, okay? Tomorrow's game is what I would call rushing futility. So take a look at these two stats. LSU and Mississippi State are the two teams at the bottom of the SEC. LSU is 13th. Mississippi State is 14th, one, with the number of times they run per game, and two, the average yards per rush. LSU has rushed it 78 times this year. Now, if you look at the stats, you see 85. They've had seven sacks. So let's take away the sacks. They've attempted 78 rushes this year, and they're only averaging 3.02 yards per carry. They've had 10 rushes that have gone for over 10 yards, Two of those were quarterback scrambles. They have had a tough time running the football. And then you have Mississippi State. Only four rushes over 10 yards. Three of those have come from Dylan Johnson, one by Jaquavius Marks. State is only averaging 2.72 yards per rush. The long is 23. So you look at Mississippi State and LSU. Both of these teams, not only are they not rushing it, but, Charlie, I think one of the reasons they're not rushing it is I don't know if we can. I don't know if either team can rush it. And he talked a moment ago. It's like you know, it's like a pitcher that throws that breaking ball like 7% of the time, but it always works because he doesn't throw it a whole lot. It's almost like both LSU and Mississippi State are just kind of waiting for that moment just to surprise the other team. There are no surprises. I think one of the reasons, when you look at the stats, one of the reasons that neither one of these teams have been running the football is because neither team can. 
they don't do it much, but they make up for it by being bad when they do. Now, LSU is going to tell you that, hey, we're getting better. Corey Kiner, a freshman last week, rushed for 6.2 yards per carry, rushed for 74 yards on 12 carries. But here's what that doesn't tell you. Oh, we got it all figured out because we've been averaging two yards a rush until last week. But here's the thing about Kiner. He carried 12 times, a long of 29. You take away one. Let's take away the outlier. Let's take away that long run. That's 11 carries for 45 yards. He had two more carries over 10. So what are you talking about here? That's right at two yards a carry. Their rushing game is not very good at all. All right, Bart, while we have the chance, before I give my opening statement, last week we went out. I got to drive a mini excavator, and I dare say. It was a skid steer. Is that what it was? It was a skid steer. Okay. See, that tells you what all you need to know. I, I drove a piece of equipment from Trax Plus, and I dare say that there are not many listeners who have cut a donut in a skid steer the way that I did. You did a nice job of you know, starting out. You went strong with that left hand, I could tell. It was almost like you pulled back with the right, and you went strong with the left. It's almost like a zero-turn mower where you just do that little donut. But what where I got scared is because I was actually filming it, and then you turned the machine directly at me, and that kind of scared me because I didn't know if you knew how to put it in park. I didn't know, know if you knew that going forward it was going to run me over. I'm, I'm proud of Jason Williams and those guys out there allowed you to do that now you can see hey we need we need to go into that man we need to buy some mini excavator we need to buy us a skid steer we can use it all over the place you can use it at your house i'll use it down at the farm we can rent it out when we don't use it you know in another episode you can explain to me the difference in the two see you know i'm just more of a field guy some okay. people can just sit down at the piano and play i can just sit down at the skid steer and start cutting donuts in the in the yard out there. Yep, Tracks Plus, four locations. The main one in Hickory on I-20. You've got the one between Startwell and Columbus on Highway 82. Also down in Summit, Mississippi now, and then in Alexandria, Louisiana. Barco equipment for the Foresters, Saney equipment for the contractors, Tracks Plus. All right, so let's take a look at my opening statement. And mine, Bart, is this. This LSU team is really good. They're not elite. And that's where their program has been for quite some time. 2019, arguably the best college football team we've ever seen. 15-0 and with Joe Burrow running that offense. You had some talented receivers. But strip that away, and let's look at the career of one Ed Orgeron down at LSU. 6-2 and two in a partial year. Four losses, three losses, five losses. And if we were reading a message board at LSU right now, it would be saying, how long are we going to stand for this mediocrity? Nine and ten wins sometimes look great, but those losses add up as well. Go back to last year, this LSU team, five and five. They lost to us. They lost to Missouri. They were trounced at Auburn, 48 to 11. Lost to A&M and Bama. Two good teams, respectable losses, but then ended it pretty well. They had that win, the the shoe game down at Florida, and then a win against Ole Miss to close it out. But here's been the common denominator with LSU. Last year allowed 35 points per game. Only South Carolina and Vandy were worse. They were 13th in the league in yards allowed. These aren't the Chinese bandits of old. This is not the intimidating defense that's going to take the field. So you say, well, that was last year. What about this year? They're allowing 22 points per game. They gave up 21 to Central Michigan. Now, 14 of those were offensive points for Central Michigan. Notably, both those touchdowns came through the air. This is the least efficient defense against the pass in the league. 
I've said this before. I'll say it again. Forget the jerseys on the other side. Get into the numbers. Get into the guys. If Stingley isn't playing tomorrow at cornerback, which we're told he won't be, this pass defense is not that good. We have a chance to move the football. Now, the thing that has hampered LSU here early on has been some injuries. You know, Jay Ward played early in that game against UCLA. He's the free safety. He's kind of quarterback of that defense in the middle. You talk about Stingley. Stingley, hey, a lot of guys say, was it Herb Street that said he's maybe the most electrifying player in college football? Stingley led the team in missed tackles so far through three games. You kind of wonder if it's in the back of his mind about playing for next year. He had a foot injury in the preseason. They think that maybe what has flared up in, in the midweek this week in practice, and will he play? That becomes the question. But Jay Ward will come back. He will be the free safety. So you kind of wonder what that does to the middle of the LSU defense. Charlie, here's the thing. I look back at that UCLA game is how effective UCLA was at running the football. So it hasn't been a situation of they just been bad in the middle on the back end. The thing they have done is they've sacked. We'll talk about this later on. They've been very good at getting pressure. But as far as stopping the run and then stopping the deep ball, this is not the old LSU defenses of old, and they've got a new defensive coordinator. Of course, Bo Pelini wrecked it all last year. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, how he survived our game, how he survived the first half of our game, I'll never know. And, look, let me be clear. LSU has some good parts. Ward's a nice player. Eli Ricks, who's a corner, is a nice player. Stingley's a really nice player. Some people would have told you coming into the season, best cornerback group in the country bar none. No debate was some of the phrases being used. That being said, sometimes when you take just one piece out of the puzzle, it impacts things. Whatever the case, whatever preseason accolades they've had, this team has not been good against the pass. No, it hasn't. And, of course, we're in the Farm Bureau studios in downtown Starkville. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. I just talked to my Farm Bureau agent just yesterday. Fantastic people, great customer service, and so go with the home team. And once again, we are in the luxurious Farm Bureau studios in downtown, a bustling downtown Starkville. All right, Bart, now it's time for our 3-2-1 segment, and each week as we go through this, the first thing we do is we take a look at three numbers of interest to us that we think may apply to this ball game. Then we move into our two players for the opposing team that we like to take a look at, and then one opposing coach. I don't even think this is a, a debate anymore. It's, it's our routine. You'll take it first, your three numbers. All right, my first number is nine, okay? Number nine, and the number nine correlates with the number of completions that Mississippi State must have tomorrow between 11 and 20 yards downfield. This is average depth of target. We kind of go back to average depth of target all the time. Our number is not going to be very high. We have a lot of swing passes, a lot of balls between zero and nine. But we've got to loosen LSU up just a little bit because what are they going to do? They're going to come with a pressure. They're going to sit up very tight, take away anything five yards out. Will Rogers so far this year on balls between 11 and 20 yards is 18 of 28. That's 64 percent. So here's the thing that Will has been able to do. He was six of seven in the first game against Louisiana Tech, seven of 13 against NC State, and then five of eight last week against Memphis. We just really took the air out of the ball last week. So when it all breaks down to the left side in those 11 to 20 range, to the left side, Will is 11 of 15. He's thrown it well. To the right side, outside the right hash, he's four of six. 
And then in the middle of the field, he's three of seven. So he's been a lot better in that zone going to the left side in that zone 11 through 20. So we need nine completions. That would be the most we've had this year to loosen LSU up. We have got to loosen them up more than we have anybody this year. Nine completions between 11 and 20 yards. Let me ask you a question about that. If I were to tell you that one of my numbers was one, and it's not, by the way, but that one of my numbers was one, and that's the number of interceptions I want us to allow Will Rogers to throw on deep balls or balls over 10 yards tomorrow. In fact, not just allow, but expect. Would you take that? Depends on when it is. Yeah, I'd take it. But you get what I'm saying. I, I know exactly what because you're saying. Because you can't demand efficiency if you also want risk. Yes, I agree with that. With I, reward, with big reward comes some risk. And I think that's the thing that kind of the message. What I don't want to hear tomorrow is the same people who say, and I'm going to include you in this group apparently, we got to throw it down the field, say we can't be throwing interceptions. Yeah, the whole question is going to become where you throw it. That's that's the whole thing. What is LSU going to do with their defense? If they've got Jay Ward back as a free safety, how tight is he going to play? Is he going to play 10 yards off the ball? Is he going to play 15 yards off the ball? What does that do to the middle of the field in that quadrant from 11 to 20? If and, you threw an interception 35 yards down the field on third down. I'd take it any day. Wouldn't you? Absolutely. My second number is four. Right, and that's the number for Malik Heath. We targeted Malik four times against NC State, ten times against Memphis. Now, against NC State, his average depth of target was 11.3. I think you're going to see that go over 10 tomorrow for Malik Heath. 8.2 against Memphis. 11 receptions, only 22 yards after the catch. He's averaging two yards after each catch. No Stingley in the morrow. That's what we're hearing. He may dress out and make us all look like fools, but LSU's going to come with a blitz. They're going to try to force Will Rogers to do some things. You've got Ward back in the middle. I think you got to attack the corners. Ricks is pretty good, but with no Stingley, look for that matchup with Malik Heath. He's only had one contested catch all year. He's one for one in contested catches. He's a strong guy that can go up and get it. I think tomorrow's a day where in that 11 to 20 quadrant, Malik Heath has to have a really big day. All right, I'll play along with that. What's your final number? Three. My number is three. It's going to work two ways. One is three sacks. We got to have three sacks in the game tomorrow. And Charlie, I know what you're going to come back at me. You're going to say, hey, Mississippi State only has five sacks all season long. Here's the difference in tomorrow. I think I'm listening. I think Zach Arnett is going to do a lot of what UCLA did. I think he is going to mix up his coverages, and I think he is going to come after Max Johnson, the sophomore quarterback, whose father was Brad Johnson, Super Bowl winning quarterback for the Tampa Bay Bucks. But I digress. Last week, LSU and LSU people say our offense looked as good as it has all year. Well, maybe it was Central Michigan. That's the reason it looked so good. But what they did is they quickened up their tempo. They got fast. They kind of went Mississippi State's way of we're going to quote-unquote dink and dunk down the field, get the ball out of his hand in a hurry. I think we are going to do tomorrow to LSU what they are going to try to do to us. That's walk up their linebackers, take away anything underneath. You bring some pressure every now and then. We talked about Aaron Brule last week. He got to the quarterback one time and almost got the quarterback. I look for Tyrus Wheat tomorrow. I look for State to bring pressure with their linebackers, confuse in the short routes where Max Johnson has been going to the last two weeks, and I look for him to hold on to the ball. This is only his fifth start overall. I look for him to hold on to the ball 
like Mississippi State fans are saying Will Rogers has been doing a little bit. I look for Johnson to do the same tomorrow and us to get three sacks. Now, conversely, the other side, LSU leads the nation with 19 sacks on the season. Their front wall, their defensive line, their defensive ends, they're really good. Now, they're going to be without Andre Anthony for the rest of the season. Defensive end, he tore his ACL last week. Allie Gay is supposed to be back a, a veteran defensive end. He's a senior, but LSU has been so good on the defensive line this year. B.J. Alajari, he's a sophomore defensive end. He had two and a half sacks last week. He leads the team with four and a half sacks right now. We have got to max out at three sacks tomorrow. We cannot allow LSU to get more than three sacks. You know, we talk about the sacks that we would get on them. How much does Johnson's inexperience kind of play into that? We talk all the time about, well, Will Rogers is only starting his ninth or tenth game. Tomorrow will just be the tenth game that Johnson's played in. I think LSU will be very conservative in this game tomorrow because Ed Ogeron is going to say, I am not going to let Max Johnson beat me. He threw two picks against UCLA early this year, which kind of beat him. One of those interceptions was behind the line of scrimmage. The other interception was like two yards down the field, both coming to the left side. And so I think you're going to see pressure come tomorrow, and I think you're going to see it come often. You know, I'm going to have some numbers on this in a little bit, but physically, Max Johnson and Will Rogers look nothing alike. Statistically, they aren't very different. You go back to that two interceptions he threw in that opening ball game. On the year, 11 touchdowns, two picks, and what you've seen is a guy get more conservative. You've seen a guy throw it shorter, take fewer chances. Overall, this is a guy, Ian Johnson, who doesn't throw it far down the field, doesn't throw a ton of interceptions, but plays pretty conservative too. Oh, they they have dialed it back. They dialed it back. And, you know, I know they played McNeese, and then they played Central Michigan, and they, they were able to win those games. And so you can dial it back a little bit. But I, it goes back to that point. You made the mention – First game of the season, one of the worst things that could possibly happen to us was that interception by Will Rogers and about how we've dialed it back. LSU has really dialed it back over the last couple of weeks. All right, so let me give you my three numbers here. My first number is 100. 100 is the number of rushing yards that the team who wins this ball game will go over tomorrow. And you rightly pointed out coming into this with your opening statement that the run is futile tomorrow that nobody's going to run. These teams are the worst two rushing offenses in the league. Some of this could be chicken and egg. I think the team that gets ahead in this ballgame is going to be more inclined to run it. But I just feel like somebody, surely, with a whistle around their neck, has spent enough time looking at this and saying, hey, we're going to have to diversify a little bit if we're going to win this ball game. We're going to spread things out. We don't want our defense on the field too much. Somebody is going to run the football tomorrow, and the team that gets more than 100 yards wins this game. So, at the back of LSU's mind, they're pass rushers. They're coming after the quarterback. Olajari, you look, he's got five sacks on the year, but he's only got four other tackles. That's just phenomenal. They've got their ears pinned back, and they're going for the quarterback. And so, what happens when you got your ears pinned back and going for the quarterback? Sometimes that delayed draw just slides right by you. So, I think there's your chance tomorrow. I, th- I think you have a chance. Everybody keeps saying, when are we going to run the football? I realize this is a good rushing defense in theory. I think there's going to be some opportunities in the running game tomorrow. Conversely, if LSU goes over 100 yards rushing, I think we're going to have a tough time winning the ball game because I think one of the things that will help us is being able to come to the line of scrimmage, think we're there to get after the quarterback. So that's my first number, 100. 
My second number, you had this number, I've got it too, and that is four. You talked about wanting to complete passes between 10 and 20. I say, how do you do that? Throw it over 20 now and then. One of the things, if you look, our opposing linebackers have been able to just kind of start to drop in that 5 to 10 range right off the snap. And safeties, meanwhile, aren't having to get back. What does that do? Everything we are having to complete is in a zone, the width of the field, and about 10 yards deep. You want us to go another 10. You want to add one more layer. What I'm saying to you is if we're going to add that layer, take some chances, throw it over the top. Why do I feel safe in doing that? We've been pretty good at it. Rodgers, 7 out of 9, throwing the ball more than 20 yards downfield. What do we say? But he's not doing it enough. LSU, by the way, Johnson, 5 of 11. Not many more. In the range, by the way, that you were talking about, that we've got to do more in that 10 to 20 range, Rodgers, 18 of 30. But we're not doing it enough. What's LSU doing? 17 of 28. One of the differences between these two is LSU's done a pretty good job getting yards after the catch, whereas we haven't always done that. Bottom line, though, you want to open it up, make the safeties be thinking about getting back. How do you do that? Take a few chances. I'm not suggesting that we're coming out and we're just going bombs away. What I am suggesting is take a couple. You threw it five times that distance last week, take four this week. Are you saying take four or catch four? I'm saying take four. Saying take four over. Okay. So you, what you want is you want Jay Ward, that free safety. You want him in the back of his mind. He knows Mr. Stingley's probably not going to be there. He knows I got to kind of cheat that way maybe a little bit because you're going to have a youngster over there a little bit. And now you, what you're saying is, hey, I want to go right at him. I want to go over the top because Will Rogers on deep balls. You talk about him being seven for nine. Four of those seven catches have been in the middle of the field, two left, one right, but he has used the middle of the field on those deep 20-yard routes. Yeah, a lot of post routes and skinny posts. But let me give you another thing. I used to argue that the most underrated play in football was the fair catch because a guy who could get up and just make a fair catch, forget return yards. You save a ton of rollout. You save your offense a ton of yards, just go fair catch it. Nobody has probably ever said this before, and people will laugh at me when they hear this. There is some value tomorrow in throwing a ball 30 yards downfield, even if incomplete. The deep incompletion tomorrow can actually have value, particularly early. If we come out and show we are willing to do it, it impacts you as a safety. It impacts you as a corner. You think I got to get back. Don't be upset, fellow friends, if you throw it 30 yards and it just hits the turf. I just don't want to see it on first down. Man, I hate to see a deep pass on first down and then set you up second down and 10. Now, our offense can can overcome it maybe a little bit, but that was always my big thing about Dan. It was almost like you'd wait to first down, and you're like, what are, what are we doing here? Sorry. I'm going to go a step, but I'll take it on first down. Were you really? Yeah. Now, okay. in the right spot, I don't want to do it first down from on 20. Yeah. You get me to the 40, and maybe I'm a couple of first downs. A little frisky yeah. out there at the 40. You know, let's take a chance. Finally, my last number is two. That's the number of holding calls that I think we must limit ourselves to tomorrow. We've been played with holding. We had two holding calls on one play last week. They didn't count because we threw incomplete. But the bottom line is, we've got to quit holding. How do you quit holding? Well, first of all, as an offensive lineman, you got to quit getting beat. There's different ways you get called for holding. Some are dumb. Some of the ways where you've taken your guy to the ground and then you jump on top of him. We had one of those. But a lot of them are you just get a guy coming across your face and he beats you and you feel like you got to grab hold of him. The other way you cut down a holding penalty is get rid of the football. 
because the longer you have to blot, the more likely you are to commit a violation in doing it. Two holding calls. We can't afford to have more tomorrow. And I'll say this. I think if we have two holding penalties, the officials that tells you the officials are looking for it, and LSU will have two penalties because their offensive line has had a tough time too. Their offensive line, save Deculus over on that right side, their offensive line has not been very good. And so I'll say if we if we get two, they get two as well. All right, I'll I'll play along to that. So that is my set of numbers, one hundred four and two. All right, now time for our two players. And once again, we are brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Well, Country Pleasing, make it a part of your tailgate tomorrow. Eleven o'clock kick, so you got some breakfast options for your tailgate tomorrow. I hope you do. So make it the best option you can possibly have, and that's with Country Pleasing Sausage, that jalapeno cheddar. Make some biscuits. Put some of the jalapeno cheddar on some biscuits. Heck, you can make some red beans and rice. It's going to be a little bit cool tomorrow. It's going to feel good. Anything you make, put a little Country Pleasing with it. I don't care if you're some grilling some steaks out there tomorrow. Put some Country Pleasing on the grill. Country Pleasing made right here in Mississippi at Country Meat Packers in Florence, Mississippi. Country Pleasing producing the best sausage known to man. All right, so now, Charlie, I guess what we look at, two players? Yeah, now it's time for two players on the opposing team. All right, the first one I'm going to go with is the quarterback, Max Johnson. We talked about him just a moment ago. And here's the thing about Max Johnson. Under pressure is 11 of 28. That's why I say if you get after him, he'll make some mistakes. He's only thrown two interceptions this year. Teams have blitzed him only 43% of the time. He's 63% on those blitzes. When not blitzed, he's 39 of of 60. He's 65%. So really the percentage-wise is no different. He gets another yard, eight and a half when he is blitzed. So the blitz really hasn't been a big factor. It's just whether you get to him or not. Now, when he is clean, when he is kept clean, he has completed 73%. Also, on all 11 touchdown passes that he has thrown this year, which leads the SEC, all 11, he has been kept clean. He has had zero pressure on any of those 11 touchdowns. So you go back to the point. Okay, where is he throwing the football? 10% are going over 20 yards. He's 5 for 11. That medium range, we talked about Will Rogers a moment ago being 64%. That medium range between 10 and 19, he's 17 of 28, 61%. But he throws a lot of balls in that short range, 79%, 0 to 9. Throws a lot of balls, not as many as we do behind the line of scrimmage. But here's where he looks. When he goes deep down the field, he goes to the left. Six of those 11 have come from the left side when he goes deep down the field. But when he goes intermediate routes, he goes center right. So remind yourself, he's a left-handed quarterback. So Max Johnson, the guy I'm looking for tomorrow, can state put pressure on him because when you put pressure on him, that percentage, completion percentage, falls down to 39%. All right, so that's a look at your first player, Max Johnson. Who you got next? All right, my second player, and I hate to pick on a guy, but Major Burns, he is a Louisiana native. He went to Georgia, played sparingly last year as a freshman, transferred back to LSU. He has had his difficulties. He is the strong safety, and he has had a lot of trouble so far this year in coverage. He's missed some tackles, but coverage-wise, teams have had a lot of success. And he's where's number 28. Teams have completed 83% of the balls they've thrown his way. He gave up a 75-yard touchdown pass against UCLA early this year. He's a freshman that's going to play in the middle. He's the guy that's going to be lined up against a lot of your slants in intermediate routes. He's missed some tackles. He's had trouble in coverage. 
I think you kind of got to go at the fine freshman strong safety tomorrow wearing number 28, Major Burns. All right, that's a look at your two players. My two players in this ball game. first of all, the wide receiver, Kayshawn Boutte. That do any justice to that? That's good. Boutte. Right. Yeah, Boutte. Not Booty, like Josh Booty, John David Booty. Go ahead. And if I were doing numbers, I would say about 17, which is probably the number of kids he beat up on the playground for daring to make fun of his last name. But here's what he's going to be. He's going to be a wealthy NFL football player at some time. Tomorrow he's going to be a pretty good receiver for the LSU Tigers. He has 20 catches through three games, had nine against UCLA, five and six in the past two weeks. He has six touchdowns so far. They play him inside. About 45% of his snaps are in the slot. They play him outside the rest of the time. Here is the key to Butte. He is good. He is really good. He is athletic, but he can drop the football. He has three drops on the season, and four times he has had contestable throws to deal with. He has caught just one. If he catches it, he can do something with it after the catch. He has 128 yards after catching the football this year. Bottom line, get up on him. Why do you play him in the slot, by the way? Try to take away some of that press coverage. Try to keep guys from getting up on him. Physical play from the safeties corners tomorrow on Boutte is the key to shutting him down. That's my first player for LSU. Can't give up big plays. Just can't do it. Gave up big plays in the first week against Louisiana Tech. Had chances to give them up against NC State. Gave up one big play last week on that throwback. The last thing you can do is let LSU get you over the top. My second players to, to look at, and I said players plural, and that is because we don't really know who's going to be the left tackle tomorrow. It might be, it could be Cameron Wire. He's played a lot of games over there. Wire, a, a big guy, he's a junior. But there's an or there. And the reason is because Wire is questionable with an injury. He hasn't played since the first game of the year. And if he does not, the guy with the or is Xavier Hill. He is a redshirt freshman. He's from Olive Branch, and he's young. And not only is he young, he has struggled in pass protection this year. His composite grade in pass protection on the season, 45. That's on a 100-point scale. Last week, he got a 7. Mm. 7. What happened? Well, he let his quarterback get hit three times in only about 36 snaps. Here's the worst part. He didn't commit any penalties. Right. At some point, if you're getting that bad, at least get close enough to hold the guy. He was a non-factor. He's going to be a really good football player. Now's not the time. So if you're looking to somebody that we need to exploit tomorrow, it's going to be that left tackle. Ed Orgeron basically said, I don't know who it's going to be. Somebody needs to step up and win it. Cameron Wire has been hurt. If he plays tomorrow, take advantage of that. If he doesn't, you're going to get an inexperienced Xavier Hill at least according to the depth chart. If you do, take advantage. You just brought up a good point right there, and we are talking about the holding a minute ago. LSU is the least penalized team in the SEC. That's been one of the big differences so far offensively between them and us. We've kind of had some backfiring a little bit. We've had some penalties, got behind the chains. We talked about this kind of ad nauseum last week about when we get behind the chains, about coming out of that. LSU doesn't dig themselves holes because – they don't commit a whole lot of penalties. The least penalized team in the SEC. All right? I guess what? Coaches now? Is that what yeah, we're looking at? Yeah, it's coaches time. All right, coaches, Charlie, do you want to go first or you want me to go first? I'll take it first this time. My coach for LSU is Kevin Falk. 
Kevin Falk is the running backs coach for LSU. He had been a player development director for the past couple of seasons before being elevated. He's the all-time leading rusher at LSU, and I mention him because I enjoyed watching him play as a college player. He went on three-time Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots and that Darth Vader, Bill Belichick, two-time MVP of 5A football in the state of Louisiana. So he was a hometown guy, home area guy, home state guy at least, stayed around. He was an outstanding player at LSU. He's in the New England Patriots Hall of Fame. He's on the New England Patriots All-Decade team. But the reason that I point out Kevin Falk today is it is really easy coming in to look at opposing staffs and look at opposing players and kind of pick up these sheets with a a little bit of malice in your heart. You're wanting to beat these guys. You're wanting to rough them up. And, look, I do want to beat LSU. But Kevin Falk here today burying his daughter. And you think about all the emotion. Look, we're both parents. I don't care if they're 22. I don't care if they're 12. I don't care if they're six weeks old. There's something about a bond with a child that uh, is just hard to fathom until you've been there. And so heavy heart for Kevin Falk, and you got to put the game aside a little bit. Your thoughts have to go out to him right now. Yeah, Kevion was a student at LSU, a student worker with the football team. She passed away back on September the 13th, and as you said, Charlie, the funeral for her is today uh, down in Lafayette. And so our well wishes with Kevin and, and his entire family at this time. Charlie, I'm going to change gears a little bit on my coaches, and I'm going to go with the offensive coordinator, and that's Jake Peets. Jake Peets is in his first year as the offensive coordinator. He's a 38-year-old guy. He's been in the NFL. Hmm. Yeah. Pretty much a trade with Joe Brady. He comes to LSU from being the quarterback's coach of the Carolina Panthers last year with Joe Brady. Hmm. So he comes in. This is his first year as the offensive coordinator. Young guy with a veteran defensive coach in Ed Ogeron. The thing that Joe Brady had is he had Steve Emsmaker, who was sitting right beside him. You don't have that older guy that can kind of handle the old gruff head coach. You kind of wonder just how much Ed Ogeron is going to let this guy call the plays. Don't you sometimes feel like people get a little carried away with the idea of we need a young, energetic coordinator, we need a young, energetic coach? It's almost like sometimes we think, hey, Joe Brady worked. He was a young guy. He went to the NFL. Who else is young and in the NFL? Uh, This is in the National Football League. Here's the thing about your offensive coordinator at LSU. He played defensive back and was the long snapper at Nebraska from 2003 to 2005. I bet there's not many long snappers out there in college football that are offensive coordinators. And evidently, he is a analytical genius. I have to call up my friend Benji Bailey and see what he thinks about long snappers now being offensive coordinators. Let's get Aaron Feld, man. <laughs> Aaron Feld, long snapper. He's a, he's a uh, strength coach at Oregon now. Yeah, Benji went to law school. Did he? Good for Benji. That's either a good thing or a bad thing. Doesn't pay as well as an offensive coordinator, I can tell you that. Pete's is a young guy that has a lot of NFL experience. But here's the thing I also want to look at, Charlie. Out of the 10 assistant coaches that LSU has on its staff, you got five guys out of the 10 that are in their first year. So you talk about staff turnover, half the staff turning over. We talk about Pete's, who's in his first year as the offensive coordinator. How about the defensive coordinator, Durante Jones, who's in his first year. He came to LSU from Minnesota. He was the Vikings' secondary coach last year. Then you've got Andre Carter on the defensive line. This is his first year. Blake Baker came from Miami. This is his first year as a linebacker coach. Offensive line-wise, Brad Davis coming over from Arkansas. He was the offensive line coach last year under Sam Pittman at Arkansas. So 
Charlie, that's what I look at is for a guy to be in his sixth year like Ed Ogeron, he's got a lot of first-time staff members. You got DJ Mangus, who's the passing game coordinator, who's in his second year. He also came from the Carolina Panthers, and so Mangus and Pete's coached together in Carolina, two very young guys. I mean, Mangus is only 32 years old. So you got two young guys on the offensive side as they're calling the plays. Feels like a lot of guys jumping on the Titanic after the iceberg has been spotted and the collision alarm has been sounded. Yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot of veteran guys. You know, Corey Raymond's still on the staff, Mickey Joseph, but that's pretty much it, guys that have been around the program for a long time. All right, so now we are down to the final part of our show, and that's our two brothers two-minute drill. Yeah, we talk about it all the time, two brothers, the smoke meets right there. The thing I like about two brothers, we talk a lot about the people we work with, how how they've kind of grown. This is a place that grew not because they raised some money and went and built something. It's something that started, and it's just really organic. Oh, it really is. You know, people – People wanted them to get bigger and get bigger. And so really cool that something just that kind of started out of the love of, of cooking and the love of just trying to have a, a little restaurant in Starville has become something much bigger, and it is phenomenal. It's a great place to sit out on the porch and just watch people, have a drink or two on the balcony if you're so inclined. My daughter every time goes with the barbecue cheese fries. I go with the tacos. You're a wings guy. I'm a wings guy. Hey, we need to do the sh- do a show from down there. I mean, it's perfect weather. Today is perfect weather in Starville. I think, hey, if the weather's nice in the next couple weeks, that may be an option for us to look at, it going to Two Brothers. You talk about them growing, Charlie, and one of the major reasons they've grown, and the major reason they have grown, is because the food's good. It's just good food. It's solid. Yeah, so Two Brothers, check them out while you're in town. So, Bart, Sound the whistle. It's time for our two-minute drill. Just making sure. I sound the whistle, and then I go first, right? Yep. Fire so, away. So here we go. <laughs> Carl Maddox was the athletic director at LSU from 1968 to 1978. He was also the athletic director at Mississippi State in 1979 to 1983, which is interesting because he was a big track guy. The Carl Maddox indoor track facility at LSU is named the Carl Maddox Fieldhouse. And the track at Mississippi State is the Carl Maddox track. John Brady was an assistant basketball coach under Richard Williams at Mississippi State University. Later made his way to LSU, took that team to a Final Four. I never liked John Brady as a kid because I came to basketball camp in 1986, and we spent the entire week under his direction and the direction of Kermit Davis Jr. doing push-ups. And I didn't sign up for that. (laughs) In the mid-30s through the mid-50s, Mississippi State and LSU played 23 straight years in Baton Rouge. And over a span of 18 years in there, Mississippi State won 11 of 18 and had one tie from 1939 to 1957. D.J. LeMayhew, the second baseman slash first baseman slash third baseman for the New York Yankees, played baseball at LSU. He was on the all-tournament team of the College World Series in 2009 had a game-tying double off the left field in the 11th inning that helped push LSU to that national championship. LeMahieu has won batting titles in both the National League and the American League. And had a little dust-up with Kendall Graben right before the All-Star break. Sure did. Hey, hey, we talked about Carl Maddox a moment ago. Carl Maddox, when he was the athletic director at LSU, they introduced lights at Alex Box Stadium down in Baton Rouge. But Carl Maddox was also the AD the first time we ever had lights at Scott Field. 1982, brought in the portable lights. Dana Moore kicked a field goal, a game-winning field goal. State won 27-24 back in 1982. Lauren Daigle 
If you search yeah. YouTube, you like the national anthem, you like contemporary Christian music, Lauren Daigle, she's the one. Two-time Grammy winner, former student at LSU. Well, former LSU baseball player Michael Papajohn is the only actor to star in four $150 million movies in one calendar year. He was in Transformers 2, Terminator Salvation, Revenge of the Fall, and G-Force. By the way, he was also Sam Tuttle in For the Love of the Game. Palmineri was the baseball coach at LSU, recently forced out, whatever label you want to put upon it. Maneri being forced out some 11, 12 years after winning a national title. Ed Orgeron's won a national title. He won't make it another decade. Maybe Monday. We'll know a lot here in a few days. And the theme music for the Rocky films, Gonna Fly Away, was written by Bill Conti, a composer who graduated in 1963 from LSU. And last thought from me, the 2007 Egg Bowl, Ed Orgeron had a lead 14 to nothing. He had his offense fourth and one around midfield. He went for it. Ole Miss ends up losing. Will Captain Ed do something silly again tomorrow and not last to the end of next week? I hope so. You and me both. All right, so that's our two brothers two-minute drill. And, Bart, that's a wrap on another Tracks Plus Deep Dig episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Special thanks again, Farm Bureau. We're here in our Farm Bureau studios. Thanks to the guys at Country Pleasing Sausage, our friends at Tracks Plus, and our friends down at Two Brothers. If you're here, you're looking for a place to eat this weekend, that's a good thing. Got an early game. You got time to get here today on Friday and eat, maybe tomorrow afternoon after the game. Two Brothers, a good place to be. And on Sunday, we'll be back for Sunday coffee. We'll grab some strange brew coffee. We'll come down here. We'll talk about the dogs and the tigers. And, Charlie, hopefully we're talking about a win. Uh, are you predicting it? I feel good about this one. And I, I, I'm, this may bite me. I don't care if it does. I'll say it. I really feel good about the way this game sets up. If you're looking for Vegas and for numbers, just to give you a heads up, here's what the betting public is doing right now. The line opened at four. It's now at two and a half. The over-under was 53-and-a-half when it opened, and now it's 56-and-a-half. 52% of the bets have Mississippi State to cover the minus two-and-a-half. 80% of the money is on Mississippi State. So LSU's got 48% on the spread, 20% of the money, 84% of the betting public, 84% is betting on the over on 56-and-a-half. A lot of people watching this game say that LSU got embarrassed by Mississippi State last year that this is going to be one of those that Ed Orgeron has circled. You know, that's the big Jackie thing. Somebody circled that game. And you say, why don't we circle a few? They say, though, that this one LSU is circled, so we'll see. I go back to the point I made just a moment ago. All those numbers, the spreads, if I were a betting man, and I am not, I wouldn't touch it. <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, is our, was it Leonard Postostis used to say? Get me out of here, Percy. Is that <laughs> it? <laughs> yeah. We'll see you guys Sunday.